Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz. My guest today is Mitch Russo. He is a consultant, former CEO of Business Breakthroughs International, a Tony Robbins and Chet Holmes company, and the author of The Invisible Organization, How Ingenious CEOs Are Creating Thriving Virtual Companies. So, Mitch, thanks for joining me. Hey, John. It's great to be here, and thanks for the invite. So, uh, there's... A lot of books out there. We were talking off off air um, about some of these ideas. There's there's a lot of books out there on how to work anywhere, how to work from the beach, how to have the four hour work week, and and I think that one of the things I really love about your book is I suppose somebody can actually accomplish that. But you're in my mind, you're talking to that real, and I don't mean to put down you know other people's ideas of a real company, but you're talking about that real company. I think that that wants to tap what's available out there to build, in some cases, as you said, maybe a very large and thriving company. Exactly. And what I have found in my consulting work and in my personal employment work when I worked for different companies is that folks generally have a good company already. The best audience for my book is somebody who's already running a company and really wants the opportunity to take it to the next level. And for many taking their company to the next level really is starting to investigate and deploy virtual systems technology. Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, is certainly, it's been true for a number of years, but certainly true today, you you really have to stay nimble. I mean, I I just go back even five years ago. I mean, I've had my business coming up on 30. (laughs) And I just go back just five years ago and I think about, you know, some of the, the, the overhead and things that people invested in that they no longer need um, at, at all. And I think by, you know, by being able to kind of tap that nimbleness, I think it makes you much more competitive. I totally agree. And, you know, for many of us who run bigger companies, we're very focused on running our company, actually. And sometimes we don't realize that somebody like me has really created an entire blueprint for how to take what you have and slowly but diligently and deliberately convert it into a situation where the overhead that you have now can easily be shedded while while moving folks that need to work in your environment out into their own homes and still have full control and access. So that's a lot of what the book is about, John. It really helps people say, you know what, I didn't even know I could do this and now I'm seeing ways, and it's opening up my eyes to new ways of using not just the cloud, but using my own staff. Yeah, and I think that that's probably one of the core, you, you have a whole section on myths, but to me that's probably one of the core holdbacks maybe for somebody. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that, that you know, their view of a company is four walls and 16 desks and everybody gets together around the water cooler. I mean, part of it, uh, would you say that part of the challenge is for somebody to to rethink what a company actually is? Well, entirely so. And see, see, most companies think going virtual is a technology issue, right. and it's really not. It's a leadership issue. And, and when approached this way, CEOs can make it happen so much faster with better results. And the whole water cooler thing is now going to show you how much time you're actually wasting and how much, not so much time per se, but productivity you're actually wasting. You you may remember I mentioned in the book that 
you know, when we have people who work for us and show up in our office every day and we see what time they come in and we see how they dress and, and how they're, you know, we see how they are, basically, that becomes part of the way we think about that person. And, and that's not a good thing or a bad thing. It's just the way it is. But in a virtual company, you get to judge people solely and completely on performance. Yeah, it does probably remove remove some of the human nature, you know, kind of elements uh, out of it. And and I think you're right. It uh, that that again, another fear is if I'm not watching them, you know, will they will they get the work done? And and obviously, you you can measure whether or not the work's done without uh, without having them sitting next to you in a desk, can't you? That's that's right. In fact, you know, it's funny. I used to be uh, I used to be a Tom Peters groupie in the late '80s and early '90s, and I used to go to see Tom Peters at every opportunity I can because he, he was so inspiring to me. He taught me this one theory called MBWA. Did you ever hear that before? Have you heard that acronym? Yes, I'm, I'm a big Tom Peters fan as well. Oh, good. So you know what management by walking around is. Yeah. And so I practiced that in my, in my old – I had a 100-person company, and I used to get up off my, uh, off my chair and walk through the company three to four times a day and you know what? It, it was great. It really helped me be in, in touch with what was happening inside each division. But, you know, for those of us and, you know, who are over 40 and who probably worked that way a good part of our professional lives, it's hard to visualize how you might still stay fully in control of your team if they're not in your facility. And, and that's what virtual systems do now, but they do it even better than we could do it before. Yeah, so talk about some of the things you do have to consider. You you already mentioned the idea that it, you have to lead differently uh, because you you know I, I was I had um, Jason Fried on the show a while back when his uh, latest book uh, came out, uh, which was essentially about his virtual uh, company that uh, that built Basecamp, and right. and he was going on about how you have to communicate differently, you have to say things a little differently in email than you might have said you know in in some other form and, and just, you just have to be aware of the fact that you are going to have to set up some, some different routines, don't you? Absolutely. And you know, he hit on the, probably the top issue when it comes to working virtually. And that is, it's hard to become a communicator if you're not already one. Now, someone like you, you communicate a lot to your teams and to your audience and to your tribe. And that's good for you. But for someone else, that's not, it's going to require that you learn how to be a communicator. More important though, and I would say as important, is how you make decisions. Decision making as an invisible leader is different because I think when we work with a group of people, we can continuously have a dialogue. But in an invisible organization, the CEO needs to open a period of discussion. And then once decisions are made, close discussion and take action. And the decisiveness of that one aspect of leadership is potentially going to make or break the, uh, the invisible CEO's ability to really take that company to the next level. So we've talked about um, the, the, primarily about CEOs. I mean, who else is this good for? I mean, is this, uh, is this good for employees? Is this good for customers? It's, it's fantastic for employees particularly if they want to be part of a company that's going to be thriving in the next decade. It's going to be valuable if an employee takes a book like this and brings it to the CEO and says, you know something, we should start looking into this stuff because there's 
an enormous opportunity to save a lot of money here and boost productivity, including helping a lot of the folks who work for us have a better life, mm-hmm. right? So now you ask about uh, employees. I'm, I'm sorry, you ask about customers. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I think, I think customers are going to be customers no matter what, but the customer experience uh, statistically improves in a virtual organization. Why? Because it's frictionless. And frictionless, and as I defined in the book, is simply the art or the fact of not having many things in the way of the relationship with the customer. Yeah, I would suggest too, because because in my opinion, and and I'm certainly my experience, uh, you are able to draw from a much larger pool of talent uh, if if you're not confined by the commute. <laughs> and so, uh, I, I think that in itself probably gives you the ability to serve customers better. Absolutely. In fact, you know when I ran when I ran the um, recruiting division for BBI, uh, and I had built that division based on what I learned from Chet about how to, requ- how to recruit salespeople. When I would work with a client, I would say to them, do you want the best person who works, who lives within 50 miles of your company, or do you want the best person in the world? Mm-hmm. Because when you start building your, your workforce virtually, you have your choice of the top people in the entire world to draw upon as opposed to just your neighborhood. So are there certain things that you have to do to, you know, again, you're not, not that, not that watching people in your office really ensures productivity, but are there certain things you need to do in the, in a virtual world to help the staff grow, to track their productivity? I mean, uh, other than systems, are there tools as well for that? Absolutely. On my website, uh, invisibleorganization.com, there's a free leadership assessment which lays out what leaders need to do and how they need to begin focusing their activities to lead an invisible organization. And one of the things that I make available is a free downloaded P- downloadable PDF that should be distributed to top management so that everybody knows what the CEO is looking for. One of the best things I learned from Tom is that if you're going to communicate with your team, make sure that everybody knows what you want. I know it sounds so obvious, but once a leader says, I really want to do this, what I wanted to do uh, was give, some, give our CEOs the tools to communicate what it is the CEO needs to accomplish over the course of, say, the next two to five months in order to be ready to go virtual. I want to cover one more, um, probably a uh, big holdback for people, whether it's accurate or not. Um, you know, a lot of times people feel like, even employees feel like, I want to go to a place where there are other people. But, you know, the, the company culture is built around the things we're able to actually do and the experiences we have and the team building that we might be able to do in person. Um, how, how do you approach building a culture, a healthy culture in a virtual company? I'm going to answer uh, a different question first, and then I'm going to answer that question. Is that okay? You bet. Okay. So the first thing is that there are going to be certain people who cannot work virtually. Right. They, they just don't have the focus. They just aren't able to structure their day or their time. So those folks, need, we need to find them quickly and screen them out. And in the book, I describe different ways to, to actually recruit staff. 
The second thing to answer your question is that culture can and should be built on a virtual organization. And when I ran BBI from my spare bedroom, we generated, I thought, a very, very dis- discreet, descriptive, very uh, absolute culture. We had a culture for sure at BBI. And I got to tell you, it was fun. It was competitive for sure. And it forced people to the top. So if you were in a situation where you were thinking, well, I can sort of just hang out here and collect the paycheck, it was not going to be the place that you were going to enjoy working. But if you were competitive, productive, smart, and were looking to grow both your income and as a professional, then coming to work for us was a way to do that for yourself. So where... So, so I imagine a lot of people, because frankly, starting a virtual company or turning your company virtual uh, may have a lot of appeal and may not actually even be that difficult to, you know, to physically do. But where, where do people that go down this path stumble? Probably what happens is they try something and it doesn't work. They get scared and they retreat. Hmm. And that's what my experience has been with the, with the clients that, that I've worked with. They've tried it. And they were now at the point of being resolved about the fact that it's just not going to work for them. And what we found is that when we looked at what happened and what they did to go virtual, it was that they had made some very critical mistakes. And one of the mistakes was not having a plan before doing it. Right. Um, Is this... In addition to the book, is this actually a, I mean, have you turned this into a service or a coaching model that that you actually do help folks uh, be able to accomplish this? Absolutely. Absolutely. If you go to the site, uh, invisibleorganization.com, and under the, the very top of the site, you'll see a little, two little words, resource center. If you go to the resource center, you'll find not just a bunch of stuff about what you can um, do by um, working with me. But you could actually get a whole bunch of resources on software that I recommend that's constantly changing. So in the book, I talk about virtual call centers. Well, since I wrote the book, I've already updated the virtual call center download twice. (laughs) Because you know technology changes very quickly. Yeah, you find new resources yourself or somebody goes out of business, uh, all those things, yeah. Sure. So – I know that when, you know, we, we use a fair amount of virtual help um, for various things. I've outsourced virtually my bookkeeping for probably 10 years. Um, and I do know one of the learnings that I've had, and I'm sure that this applies hugely to, a, you know, a virtual CEO, is that we get a lot better work when we document the processes and the, and the outcomes that we're after. Yep. Um, w- would you say that, that to, to do this, one of the things you have to commit to is to be able to document everything? Yes. Well, you know what's nice about documenting everything is that if, for example, the time comes when you need to train another person, right. the process is already documented. And it makes life so much easier now that you already have an entire process in place. And by the way, in the book, if, if you remember, I talk a lot about learning management systems. Yeah. And the reason I do is because learning management systems gives both CEOs and management teams the ability to train remotely as well as train completely. And when we are working with people like coaches, for example, one of the things that is imperative 
is that everybody understands the technology, as they say, singing from the same song sheet. Mm -hmm. And without using a system like a automated learning system or an, a learning management system, it's almost impossible to guarantee that everybody will be able to duplicate the information and use it exactly in the same way. And that's why, you know, for example, in your case, if you have a bookkeeper for the last 10 years and she's never left you, well, that's a blessing. Because if she does, <laughs> somebody's going to have to teach her her job. Why not have her uh, populate the learning management system herself and this way, in effect, create a training environment for the next person who comes along? Yeah, and I think a lot of people get really intimidated by that idea of documenting. You know, it can be as simple as, you know, write down the key steps for a checklist, you know, for exactly. this particular item. It doesn't really have to be that onerous. Right. <laughs> One of the things, I want to end with this topic because you, you make it a big deal, and, and I'd love to hear uh, your take on this being a marketing person myself. Uh, but you call the, the CRM uh, is, system is really kind of the heart of the beast. Um, and, and I don't. You know, I, I don't think most operations, I mean, a lot of CEO types I could see thinking of this, what we're talking about is, is primarily an operational um, uh, element. And I think you're actually, by, by pushing the CRM system to the forefront, I think you're giving it a different twist. I am. And the reason is, is because, you know, the, the pulse of an entire company is its client list and its prospect list. And... If you ever plan on working with clients past your first sale and you don't have a CRM system, it's going to be incredibly hard. And so what I think of as a CRM system is the, basically the, the hub of an environment that surrounds all of the different pieces of technology in your organization. So if this CRM system is in the center and each branch can be a different division, a different service, a different even a different um, entire software platform, as long as that the data is seamlessly flowing between all of them, and the best way to do that is using a CRM system. Yeah, I think that uh, again, technology is. You know, I remember some of the first uh, CRM systems that were really clunky, and now obviously everything's moved to the cloud, and uh, the, the, they're very simple CRM systems. So again, it doesn't have to be something that's that's really daunting. That's right. So, Mitch, this was great. I appreciate you joining us. You can find uh, all the things we talked about at MitchRusso.com. And obviously the book is available uh, pretty much anywhere you buy books. Uh, Amazon, It's uh, if you've got that Kindle Unlimited thing, I think it's free right now. So uh, no excuse not to pick it up. Mitch, thanks for joining us, and hopefully we'll run into you out there on the road. Thank you, John. My pleasure. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. 
Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you wanna learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.